Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Friday, June 30th. It's the last day of June, and we're getting ready to roll into July. Today is International Day of Parliamentarianism, everybody. And just so happens we have a few lawyers in the room today. It's also International Asteroid Day because we all know the asteroid's going to come and destroy us one day, as well as Social Media Day because social media destroys your life as well. It's also National Meteor Watch Day because how else would you know if there was going to be an international asteroid coming or not, as well as International Cream Tea Day and National OO. TD Day. I forget what that stands for, though. What is it? Outfit of the Day. National Outfit of the Day. I don't know why. It should just be OTD. I don't think of should have an abbreviation, but whatever. But thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And uh, I'm hoping we'll, we'll be on Twitter Spaces by next week. Um, it, and... Uh, with that, we're going to kick it over to the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite, who is hanging out in Hawaii, where it is 6 a.m. If you just turn the nine upside down, that's right. You get the six. And it, it is the dope dad himself with his puka shells and Tommy Bahama, Tommy Bahama tank tops. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Oh, man. I even have my road deck. Hold on. Hold up. Hold up. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> yes, no? loud and clear, baby, loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> These are not puka shells, Jason. Whatever you want to call them. However, however they yeah. choose to identify yeah, Rico, these, that's these not my business. Authentic lays, just so you know. And just, just so you know, however they choose to identify is not my business. <laughs> so good morning, everybody. And um, it might be high at nine on the West Coast. It could be. High, high noon on the East Coast, right here on Hawaii, getting high on crack, crack of dawn. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's talk about Virginia. Are Virginia's new hemp rules set to take off this weekend, driving folks back to the trap? A group of local advocates sure seem to think just exactly that. 
New legislation aimed at cracking down on stores selling Delta 8 and other hemp derivatives goes into effect tomorrow. The new legislation hopes to close a loophole that allowed the sale of hemp-based products, but industry advocates are crying foul. They say that the new law will push consumers back to the underground and force small businesses to close. Let's take a look and see. Two major changes are going into effect. The legislation requires any hemp products for sale to contain 25 times as much CBD as they do THC. The goal is to limit THC content without unintentionally banning the sale of CBD products, which producers say typically contain trace amounts of THC. I say they do as well. It requires anyone who sells hemp products to pay in a thousand one thousand dollar annual fee, and there will be steep fines for retailers caught selling illegal products. Jason Amatucci, president of Virginia Hemp Coalition, told Axios that all this is going to do is push people back to the black market. The hemp industry has been filling the void for Virginia consumers as the state continues to exist without a legal cannabis retail market, despite re- legalization, recreational possession two years ago under the Democrat, Jason, Ralph Northrum. It's a bad, it's as bad as you can get when it comes to policies. Virginia legislature legalized possession of marijuana in 2021, but it still hasn't provided a framework for selling it. Without that, Anna Matucci says three markets have emerged. The gray market, which includes hemp derived products, the monopoly medical market and the black market. I take offense to his usage of it in that context, but that's a different story for a different day. (laughs) The black market is already beating out all markets, he says. In fact, it's flourishing in Virginia. The Times-Dispatch reported uh, this month that uh, marijuana sales in the state expected to hit $2.4 billion this year, but 1% sold illegally. Meanwhile, uh, some hemp... eh, That's really, really short, isn't it, Jason? Yeah. 1% 1% selling illegally? I'm sure there's a whole lot more than that. Uh, I mean, meanwhile, I, I some like how they do their numbers. I like how they do their numbers. Right? Numbers don't make sense. Meanwhile, uh, some hemp businesses are moving to other states and others are closing their doors altogether as a result of the new regulations. Uh, this is what Dylan Bishop said. He's a lobbyist who represented an array of hemp businesses that opposed the legislation. The businesses likely affected included include retailers selling CBD products, manufacturer of hemp products, the labs that test the products, and commercial landlords who may have to fill these retail spaces. But on the other side, proponents of the new leg- legislation are arguing that changes were needed amid a THC market that was getting out of control. (laughs) Bishop said he suspects enforcement of the new THC limits would mostly target food products containing THC, like gummies, uh, which have been a focus for the state agency tasks with enforcing the regulations, the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. I'll tell you what, man, this is only going to strengthen the trap. As we've seen Delta 8 flourish in other states um, in the absence of great THC laws or any THC laws uh, at all, Virginia's just going to go the, re- the way the rest of them. I don't know. But I'm going to give it to the uh, rest of the team. We have a couple of lawyers on with us today, so I'd like to ask them whether they're thinking about what's going on in Virginia. Is this actually going to send people back to the illicit market? I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the beach. Tuning in, no sleep. What do you say, Jason? High at nine. High at nine. High at at six. High at six. You know, you just turn the nine upside down. You got six. You're winning. Hoorah. (laughs) This this is what happens. 
and you have the nonsensical rollout of um, uh, regulations across the country where no one wants to just say, let's make cannabis or weed or marijuana, what are you going to call it? Let's make it legal and stop screwing around with this shit. Because these are the little steps you take that never solve a problem, but the illicit market, and you know, I won't call it the black market, RICO, because that's too easy to say. The illicit market is out there, and we've been trying to get people out of the illicit market. I mean, that really is the goal. We want them out of the illicit market, have a legal market, and the games over the isomers. I mean, these are about isomers. And, and, and when you get charged somebody with a crime, and you see you're charged with having possession of marijuana, you go, no, it's not because it's got less than 3.3% THC, or no, this is the Delta-8. It's a different bonding site. It's all horse shit, because no one has the balls to just make this legal. So we continue to do these incremental things, and the illicit market's just laughing and burying their cash in the backyard while we're all you know, sitting around mentally masturbating over stupid shit like this. It's just nonsense. And Dale, I have to say, I, I usually, I'm usually not one of the people who's like super opposed to these in the black market, but I feel like the way that he used it, the context he used it, I was like, really, bro? <laughs> I was a little bit on the edge of like, you talking about black people, bro? But I uh, just wanted to put that Oh, out. no, not anybody, right? No. Come on. So how, how does that work? If you just use B-L-A-C, then it's okay. But if you say B-L-A-C-K, it's not? No, nah, he was just like talking all good about like... <laughs> You got the gray market, and then you have like the the white market, and then you know like the black market. You know, like it's all bad and everything. Like, it's kind of just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know I, I, I I don't believe that yeah. you have, you've ever had a white market. I think people would just use that just to just to gaslight people. Probably so. And so when you hear uh, lawmakers and advocates and uh, people in uh, uh, in positions of power use that shit, mm -hmm. you're gaslighting and. Um, I don't like that shit. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it made me feel some kind of way. <laughs> when I used to sell weed, no one ever accused me of anything. No, it's just they bought my weed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they, they've always only accused me of having the best weed in the world. Yeah. yeah. Just trying well. to placate you and get you out of the room, Jason. <laughs> we have we, we have Lauren Mendelson. Lauren. From, yes, yeah, I was going to say, Lauren, uh, please, yeah. please uh, tell us your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say, um, you know, similar to what Dale was saying, this is crazy. This is what happens when we have this uh, hodgepodge of rules, this incrementalism rather than just dealing with the problem head on. It also is what happens when you have people who are politicians and not scientists making laws about something that has to do with science and health. And so there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what's being regulated by the regulators and and what's being legislated by the lawmakers uh that's really where the, the disconnect is and you know for example now this definition of what's hemp versus marijuana this 0.3 percent thc i mean we're talking about the same plant here but instead of having botanists make laws about botanical things mm -hmm. we're having people who you know had communications degree or poli sci degrees and now are in there making laws about um Stuff that's very important and, and science based and so um i i would love to see more people getting into uh, running for office who are from sciences and, and from these other backgrounds um so you know we need people who actually understand this stuff and we need to stop acting um you know stop demonizing this plant and stop acting like 
um, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is all right if it has this amount of, of THC, but this isomer is not okay. And if you cross this invisible state line, then we have all these totally different rules. Um, it is it is confusing, and confusing laws like this do discourage folks from seeking out legal products because it mm -hmm. gets too complicated. Um, and it's complicated for those enforcing the laws as well, for um, officers, for, you know, attorneys need to keep learning things every single day. So it's just, it's confusing all around. It's unnecessary. It's creating um, judicial inefficiencies, added costs, um, just doesn't make sense. And it's a, a, we're all losing out on the potential benefits. The government's losing out on potential uh, revenues and people are losing out on all the benefits that they lose when they get arrested or, or hit with fines and things. So yeah, it's hopefully we can work together and, 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 you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm always, I feel, like, I feel like for the past 10 years, I feel like I've been saying that cannabis is going to legalize federally in the next five years. And it just, it's always five years away. When are we? Yep. When are we going to get just, there? And it's we just moved the um, um, There's a Forbes article came out this morning, and, and they're saying it's going to be ten years out. What do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I have I have some insider information that uh, that uh, I'm 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 willing to put money oh, on. We lose him. No, can you hear me? You can't hear me, Dale. Now. Okay. All right. Well, I, I I got some insider information that you know what I mean that it, it, it's very highly likely that uh, it's going to be Schedule Three by the end of the year. Yeah. Well, I'd like to find out from Gene. You you have a you know DEA registration. You're allowed to prescribe narcotics. Um, Schedule Three narcotics don't really get a lot of people's attention anymore. But you can't just produce a Schedule Three narcotic and put it into the pharmaceutical stream unless you've got a DEA license. And they're not going to give anybody a license to exactly. grow weed and put it in the market. Exactly. It's going to be grabbed by pharmaceutical companies. So exactly. Let, what do you think about that, Gene? What, what do you think this is going to do if it goes to Schedule 3? Uh, well, i got a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first is that uh, uh, THC doesn't act like alcohol, so it's not a straight a dose effect curve. It's a U-shaped curve, which means there's a threshold, there's the effective level, and then there's saturation. Um, and so we just can't look at it like alcohol. The more you take, the more we tax, or the more you take, the stronger effect. It's just really got to look at it uh, differently. In regards to rescheduling, it, it won't work as a scheduled substance um, just because it's a it's a multi-agent compound there are multiple active ingredients in the plant and pharma or fda is just not used to handling multi-agent compounds like this and so i really think it needs to have its own track just like alcohol and cigarettes that's really where the connection is mm -hmm. um it, we've got to look at it uniquely facts facts dr t hell yeah very big facts right there uh we're, we're about I just to hope, oh, go ahead, I, hope my, 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 I hope my home state gets it together just keep it at that man it, it, it just doesn't seem like it's gonna happen it doesn't hold you but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what the trap out there is alive and well and popping baby oh yeah we're gonna go to a commercial we're gonna be right back how's it going guys saman razani coming to you from green street here with jason beck smoking on the best weed in the world did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. 
Oh yeah. You with us, Rico? Oh yeah. Y'all know who it is coming up next. He's the man with the master plan. The cannabis industry's longest continually continuously operating retailer in the world. And you know what? He might have just been in the room when Donald Trump was caught on tape. I don't know. <laughs> His office is set up right outside <laughs> that same very room at Mar-a-Lago. And people have him I located mean, there when it went down. Jason Beck, what do you have for us on this beautiful Friday morning? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. And I will say this. They do love me in Mar-a-Lago. But you know what? I have a really, I think you guys are going to find this story really amusing, okay? Because I think you all have seen the Jersey Shore and how obnoxious everyone is there. But today, the Jersey Shore town say state's marijuana law handcuffs police and emboldens rowdy teens. That's right. It's summer on the Jersey Shore for many young people, and that means one thing, party time, and that's right, GTL, Jim Tan and Laundry. But officials and residents of several beachside towns say New Jersey's criminal justice reforms in recent years, such as decriminalizing marijuana use, are having an unintended effect, emboldening large groups of teenagers to run amok on beaches and boardwalks knowing there's little chance they'll get in trouble for it. Now, some lawmakers are trying to walk back parts of these laws which also involve alcohol use and possession the laws were designed to keep more juveniles out of the court system and imposed a number of restrictions on on peace officers um interaction and in their interactions with them in a quote you don't want to see a kid with a record that will last the rest of his life but you can't let them believe they can do anything they want said mayor anthony Baz of Seaside Heights. That's unacceptable, he says. During Memorial Day weekend, police and media outlets reported episodes of underage drinking, drug use, fights, and assaults in Ocean City and Seaside Heights, home of the infamous MTV series, that's right, Jersey Shore, in which a bunch of summer renters generally raised hell in town. Although teens have been drinking and smoking marijuana at the Jersey Shore for generations long before the state altered its laws, some elected officials and residents say the situation has drastically worsened in the last two years. Well, maybe you guys should be blaming MTV for hyping up the Jersey Shore so much. But nonetheless, over Memorial Day weekend, teens were hanging from a motel balcony in Seaside Heights and climbing onto the roof of another motel. In Ocean City, eight teens drank themselves unconscious on the boardwalk and had to be hospitalized, and restroom attendants were assaulted and spit on by youths. Are you sure they weren't just homeless? Uh, several teens were carrying knives and one had a replica gun that police say looked just like the real thing. I always say that. Enough is enough, Ocean City Mayor Jay, Jay Gillian uh, wrote in a message to residents on the city's website. It's, beco- it, it's become clear over the past two summers that these crowds will grow larger and unrulier unless something changes. Holly Kisby, an Ocean City resident who has worked on the boardwalk for over 30 years, said teens were drinking, smoking marijuana, setting off fireworks into the crowd, fighting, destroying property, and stealing from stores, among other things. She also says, you're getting well more than 300 kids, if I had to guess, 700 plus a few, plus a few nights, all acting wild, she said, like a bad house party without the house. This is by far the worst it's ever been. 
Ocean City Police Chief Jay Prettyman said that most of the troublemakers were drinking underage, but added that New Jersey's recently adopted cannabis laws uh, that someone under the age of 21 cannot consent to a police search for marijuana or alcohol. Previously, teens caught with those things could be arrested. Now they get a warning or get taken to police headquarters for a parent or guardian to pick them up, except in the most serious situations. I agree with that. I think I'm good with that. Let let their parents deal with it. Word spread fast among teens who they don't have to give officers their names as long as they don't want, as long as they don't walk away from the officer during the questioning. And the kids even know that officers themselves could face charges if they violate the rights of teens in these circumstances. Sounds like they've been listening to Mark Wasserman of the Pop Brothers of Law and just... STFU and up. The New Jersey Attorney General's office did not respond to requests for comment, and the American Civil Liberties Union supported the changes, saying teens should be offered alternatives to criminal prosecution when possible. Above the Seaside Heights boardwalk Thursday, a small plane towed a banner asking, Do you know the signs of alcohol poisoning? Sitting on a bench with friends, 22 year old Santiago uh, Cacaris said police should not be able to search people for illicit substances. He says, people of color are way more likely to be searched than white people. He said, people are in jail because of this. A lot, and in another another quote, a lot of underage people make a dumb mistake and they get a criminal record, ruining the rest of their life, added his friend Angel Aguro, 23. Both had come down uh, to the beach from West New York, in a town in New Jersey just across from Manhattan. Nick Diamanta, a 15-year-old from Beachwood, New Jersey, said police should be allowed to conduct searches of underage people like himself. He learned of the change in the law on TikTok, and he says in a quote, if kids are allowed to to do it and don't get searched, then they're going to do it, said Diamantia who said he does not drink or use cannabis. Several lawmakers from both parties have introduced bills uh, reinstating fines for underage possession of alcohol and marijuana and allowing peace officers to search teams observed to be in the possession of these items. Pretty Man, the Oceanside police chief, said uh, officers throughout the state are hesitant to engage teens regarding alcohol or marijuana for fear of being charged themselves with a third-degree crime of depriving the teens of their rights. He said bills removing that provision and reinstating penalties for underage possession and consumption of alcohol and pot will undo some of the excesses of the current law. Senator Michael Testa, Republican, was shocked by the lawlessness of the New Jersey shore over the Memorial Day weekend. He's sponsoring a package of bills, including one that will remove the threat of charges against peace officers acting in good faith and another allowing towns to designate alcohol and marijuana free zones. New Jersey is not alone in reforming its laws to try to keep more juveniles out of the criminal justice system. Several Maryland law enforcement officers say the state's juvenile reforms have made it harder to question and investigate teens suspected of committing crimes, although the state's Department of Juvenile Services says the laws have are having a positive effect. Seaside Heights mayor said he heard kids as young as 13 uh, mouthing off to peace officers with impunity, and a, f- a few of them actually said, you can't do anything to me, Bass said. I heard it with my own ears. 
The town is considering raising the minimum age to rent a motel room from 18 to 21 disturbances if disturbances continue. And in the aftermath of its own unruly weekend, Ocean City uh, acted quickly to regain control of its beach and boardwalk, closing access to the beach at 8 p.m. and banning backpacks on the boardwalk after that hour, adopting an earlier curfew and closing public restrooms at 10 p.m. Seaside Heights adopted similar measures, including one that allows officials to shut down the beach and boardwalk if things get out of hand and the and the other shore towns enacted curfews and alcohol bans man oh man oh man it is going down in the jersey shore 2.0 with you're gonna have to have gtl alcohol and weed oh man what are they gonna do this is jason beck for the high at nine news what do y'all think about this stupid jump in if i can real quick i grew up in new jersey and that's what the shore was always like i didn't hear anything i deserved that didn't sound like typical jersey shore behavior um and i'm kind of upset that they made this article having to do with the cannabis legalization law there it just sounds like a but honestly it sounds like the kids were just mostly drunk and just acting rowdy and that's unfortunately what happens at the shore fortunately if you're into that kind of thing but um yeah this didn't um this doesn't sound that atypical from someone who has spent many summers at the shore um and i think that uh like you said i do think it's it's good that they have some more protections in the new law um for for young people um and have it you know put some responsibility on the parents um but yeah it's 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 kind of always a mess. I will note just something interesting. I was actually at the shore a few months ago, um, and there are a whole lot of um, like pop-up, uh, illicit, sort of unlicensed uh, CBD Delta Eight, um, not shops. real dispensary. But if, if you know, if you're not into it, so I, I can see that you know there's certainly a, more of a presence. But I think it's wrong to blame the you know the rowdy behavior on cannabis legalization. I agree with that statement right at the end, 100%. Yeah, because cannabis is, cannabis is not known for rowdy behavior. Alcohol is, and they're just con conflating the two. Is what it is. They're conflating the two because they, they know that it's all about the crossfade for the win. Huh, Dr. T? Yeah, oh, I, wonder, I wonder what Snooki and um, uh, the situation think about this whole, this whole oh, thing. Oh, man. Oh, Having grown up also in New Jersey, Essex County, Lauren, at and I also spent many summers at the shore. This is an alcohol problem. This is the typical issue of trying to equate alcohol with cannabis uh, mm -hmm. problem. Um, oh, and there's why. also the, the problem that they've had since they first invented writing. What do you do with teenagers? Okay. Um, right. I mean, I raised five of them, and I wanted to choke the shit out of them a number of times. <laughs> okay, and they fortunately didn't do as much alcohol as they did weed and other drugs. But alcohol makes teenagers stupid. And I was a stupid teenager, and I tell you, if my old man got word that I was out acting stupid, drunk when I was a minor, I would—they would have been removing a, bo a boot from my ass. So there's a lot of issues here that involve parental responsibility. Hey, once you turn 18, you're on your own, dude. You need, these protections shouldn't apply to you. But as a minor, I agree. The state should take it easier on minors than they do on, but drag the parents' ass in there. You know, your kid's out drinking, selling whatever up on, you know, on the boardwalk. Uh -huh. Where's the parents? We argue, we don't want the government coming in and acting in loco parentis and being the parents of these kids. Well, where in the fuck are the parents? If you don't want us, the state stepping in, 
bring the parents in, make them responsible. But, you know, you can't legislate uh, this kind of conduct and behavior. You, just, you can't get down to that level. De facto, kids have always got into whatever drugs they get into their parents had around. And, you know, they act stupid. We need, we need to ban these toy guns. <laughs> oh man! I'm not I'm not for banning much, but yo, ban these toy these toy guns. Like I mean, anybody, people are gonna get people have been getting shot and killed because of toy guns. If they're gonna be like out there like messing around, is, man, is, don't be messing is, around with is, toy is, guns. Is banning a toy gun really really the solution, Rico? And I don't I don't think that it is. Well, it's stupid to be carrying around. I, I I agree that it's stupid to be carrying around, but I'm just I'm just I'm just saying I don't think banning them is the actual actual use actual uh, way to go on this. Oh, but uh, see, that's I'm, more that's more in loco parentis thinking. Right. Okay? If, if they're all doing it, we've got to make it illegal. That's how we got into the goddamn war on drugs in the yeah, first place. Let's exactly. just make it all illegal. They could never enforce it, and I'm really well, I'm, not I'm in I'm favor about, of I'm about teaching these and enforce. I'm about teaching these kids at a young age how to properly use a gun and how I'm to properly that. defend themselves. And if, you, and if you do guns. that, yeah, if you're taught at a young age how to properly yep. arm yourself and protect yourself, you're not going to be out there acting stupid with a, a toy gun. I agree with that 100%, and that makes a way more sense. So it should be more about education and not banning then, if that's the case. But in absence of education, uh, get those toy guns off the street so so, you, so nobody gets mistaken for having a toy gun and popped. So are so Rico, are you adv advocating for shooting ranges at schools? Part of gym class, bro. I'm down with part of gym class. I would. I, that's what. That's what my answer was going to be too. Exactly right. Part of gym class. That's right. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Yeah, skeet we're, shooting, we're gonna. Baby. Yeah, baby. We're gonna. We're gonna keep it. Keep this going. We're gonna keep this rolling. We we got. We got another. We have a a breaking lawsuit. A response in a lawsuit that we covered here first at High and Nine News, covered by Mr. Dale Schaefer, and he's coming back to bring us the uh the the would it be the litigants' response? Is that the right word, Mr. Schaefer? Court issued an order. The so court we'll is be talking about that. All right, all right. Well, let's coming up next. That's right. He did some time for a cannabis crime, and now he's here with us to tell us all about not just that, but how not to do time for a cannabis crime. That's right. It's Mr. Attorney representing the Armada Law Practice, the founding partner, Mr. Dale Schaefer. Yeah. Not passing laws you can't enforce. There's a first place to go. All right. Um, this this is the um, Christopher Lynch case. We talked about it, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks back. Um, he's got Parkinson's disease and he was a breeder and had intellectual property rights over some seeds and some genetics. And he sold them. Okay? It was part of a purchase and sale agreement. Intellectual property rights were purchased. He was retained as an employee. And the pissing match started after that. Um, now, it seems that as part of the purchase and sale and employment agreement, he signed arbitration agreements. Okay, And so what he did is he filed a lawsuit in civil court. And when you file, when you've signed an arbitration agreement, um, you can go to court in California under our um, California Arbitration Act. And you can compel that the case go to arbitration and you can stay any civil case. And one of the questions in this case was what can be deferred into arbitration? So 
The judge issued an order in this case that you're going to go to arbitration of these disputes. Okay? And that um, the way that it was fought in the courts, there was nobody attacking the unconscionability of any parts of the arbitration agreement. So they're going to be sent there. And what I would like people to understand uh, is that when you put together um, contracts, uh, and especially in this industry, arbitration agreements are not uncommon. I use them a lot. I try to carve out of my agreements some rights to go into the, the courts uh, in a jurisdiction around you and get what we call injunctive relief. Get in, get a, um, orders to compel somebody to do something or to prevent them from doing something. Okay? But for the most part, everything goes into arbitration. Now, what you can't arbitrate in California uh, and was involved in this is you make a complaint to the Fair Employment and Housing Administration and they decide to take a case. You can't compel um, arbitration of that. that. That's covered by a separate set of regulations. But if they give you a right to sue letter because they're not going to take action, that can be compelled to go to arbitration. And I think that's what some of the differences were in this case. Now, these are still in the pleading stage. And once it goes to arbitration, it's going to be confidential. It's one of the other aspects of arbitration is you can keep these out of the public spotlight. And when you get into these arbitrations and read them, you find out that human beings are scandalous, scandalous as hell. They'll lie, cheat, they'll steal. And if they're in the, the civil courts, the whole world gets to find out what kind of a piece of shit these people are. Okay, When they go to arbitration, you really don't know. So where this is going to be is an arbitration. We won't really know how this thing turns out unless they pop back up in civil court. But my takeaway from this is that if you're going to be in this industry doing contracts, whether you're writing them, whether you're the subject of them, don't be surprised if you are forced to go to arbitration and the rules are a whole lot different than they are out in civil court. That's the beginning of discussion. Lauren, I'd love to hear from what you had to say about this because I see this all the time and we use a, we use a stick to get people into arbitration because it's much easier than dealing with them in the civil courts where, you know, it's just, you can't keep stuff quiet. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I, most of my contracts, um, include arbitration language as well. Um, you all, it's, there's a lot of bad arbitration agreements and clauses that I've read. So it is important that you don't just use a boilerplate one. Sometimes they call for like a panel of three or five arbitrators. And then the parties are paying for way more arbitrators than are necessary. One is, is usually fine. Um, and different things like that. Um, there, sometimes you might even want to select a, a certain arbitrator that you've worked well with or suggest that um, if that's okay with the parties, they, they go with someone that you've had that relationship with. Um, but yeah, it's, and there, there could also be times when you want to, you might want some things to come public, right? So at least if for, you know, in California, there's a state law here that says that the fact that a contract deals with cannabis doesn't make the whole contract illegal. And so at least companies that are operating with a state license in California can be confident that as long as they're not breaking any of these state laws or local laws, they can bring it, bring their case um, in court. And as long as they've been doing everything right, they don't need to worry about too much dirty laundry, hopefully. But it might be uh, give the other party, um, you know, some fire under their feet if, if there's been some uh improper behavior versus everything's going to be secret so that might not encourage people to work out some kind of a settlement 
Um, so yeah, it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, another thing I've seen is sometimes these, um, instead of a standalone agreement uh, or even in a standalone agreement, these uh, ADR, alternate dispute resolution clauses or agreements will contain some language about mediation first. Um, and so oftentimes first, uh, the parties will try to negotiate themselves for maybe 30 days. That doesn't work. You go to maybe non-binding mediation. You try that for a bit and then you would go to arbitration. That's a path that I see um, frequently. But you want to be careful that you don't use ambiguous language like the, it's going to go to mediation or arbitration or, you know, something like that. So you, you do need to pay close attention to those, you know, that parts of the agreement. Um, and work with um, a, a competent attorney like Dale or myself or someone else who knows this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And, and and just for everyone out there, just so they know, this is in regards with the Compound Genetics Node, Node Labs ongoing litigation. And we are going to be following it probably closer than anyone else. We're going to do some special segments on, on, on this story coming up, some live interviews. And so... Um, make sure that you keep it here to Hyatt 9 News and stay tuned for all of the latest updates on this. And thank you so much for covering that, that Dale. We're going to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And... With the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. This is going to be a community involvement pro promo. We are going to be promoting the annual event of, it will be on Sunday, July 30th, that is called the Global Day of Compassion, where they collect donations and reach out to elderly citizens in the community and make sure that they know that they are loved, needed, and appreciated, as well as have supplies that they desperately need. Um, if you are interested in participating, please let me know. Send me a text. Send me an email. Um, anyway, send the show an email, however you need to do, just reach out and I will make sure that I put you in touch with everyone. They also have a movie day in the park on this, on, on this, on the evening of this for all the families in attendance, everyone will be fed as well throughout all this every children and baldwin hills area is benefits the baldwin hills area community and baldwin hills um is the only area with over 850 apartment buildings all of which house at least 30 to 40 units per building and so if you can do the math i'm sure you can see that there's a definite need for some assistance in the baldwin hills area and that is going to be going on on sunday july 30th so if you want to help please help out and with that I'm going to pass them it over to you, Rico. Oh, yeah. Up next, this legendary cannabis doctor is the founder of Medican and the co-founder of CESC. He probably even wrote your mama's mama's rec to keep her <laughs> putting her hands on you. Come to the stage. You know who it is. It's Dr. John Talleyrand. Thanks, Rico. Happy Friday, you, everyone. Doctor. Uh, let's see. My headline today is from Everyday Health. Medical marijuana for Black Americans with cancer. Why disparities exist and how to gain access by Tanea Searles. This article discusses an anonymous cross-sectional study of patients with cancer 
receiving treatment at a National Cancer Institute in Pennsylvania. About 20% of the center's randomly selected patients responded to a survey about current and past cannabis use, reasons for use, perception of benefits and risks, stigma, access, barriers to access, and opioid use. The survey also collected demographic information, including gender, race, ethnicity, type and stage of cancer, annual income, and medical cannabis certification or registration with the state. 63% of the respondents were female, 10% were black, 51% had an income over 100,000 with an average age of 61 years old. 33% reported using cannabis since receiving their cancer diagnosis. Black patients were less likely to be registered with only 28% reporting they had a medical cannabis certification compared to 46% of white patients. The most common sources of medical cannabis were medical dispensaries at 47% and friends and family at 38%. Other sources were from another state at 16%, unlicensed dealers at 10%, and 1% were growing their own. The most common route of use was ingestion at 50%, followed by vaping at 20% and topicals at 9%. Blacks were more likely to report using cannabis than whites. However, blacks were less likely to be medically certified to use cannabis. The authors, the authors postulate the reason for the discrepancy um, is a possible mistrust arising from historical and contemporary structural racism in healthcare. Outside of the personal residence, smoking is not allowed in Pennsylvania. According to the survey, blacks and men are more likely to smoke cannabis. Our study showed that factors that drive health disparities in the United States, such as race and income, are related to whether a patient has access to cannabis where they get cannabis and what forms they use, says Dr. Ashare, lead author and associate professor of psychology at the University of Buffalo in New York. This article goes on to suggest that the variable state-by-state -state cannabis policies, the continuing impact of the war on drugs, and implicit and explicit bias by medical professionals all contribute to the current discrepancies in medical cannabis certification. Some people hope and believe that the United States is the world's greatest experiment in diversity. Perhaps this is true. However, color castes exist and have existed since this country's inception. Considering the Supreme Court's recent decision to act as if there is a level playing field in education, the evidence continues to show that the playing field is not so level, at least when it comes to health. Socioeconomic factors affect health outcomes in patients with cancer, even when medical cannabis is accessible. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for High Nine News. Man, man, we got to close that gap. We, we were doing these, um, you know, 20, a long time ago. Molly, my, my ex, was the recommending physician. We saw these problems um, in our office. We had 12,000 um, recommendation patients that we saw and we were keeping statistics and it was unbelievable um, a lack of um, availability to uh, sick people uh, I mean we, we were a physician and attorney 
went to an oncologist when Molly got cancer and they did not want to deal with us. Okay. So, and we were very forceful. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be black and being, you know, feeling like you don't get to go to the medical community and get what you want. You don't get listened to. Uh, they, they downplay problems and issues, what that would feel like. We never had, felt like we had any discrimination going on with anybody of color in our office. We just didn't see a lot of people of color come in. Okay? And it's indicative of the healthcare system in general, which I don't think has gotten better since I was, I, I did tw- uh, 12 years of clinical, worked in clinical medicine, then I represented physicians for years. I've seen all this stuff. And I'll tell you, if you are of color going to the medical community, you do not get the same treatment that I get. And when you're in, involved with medical cannabis, the war on drugs eats you up. And, you know, most people out there that smoke weed that are not involved in the medical uh, community, you know where to get weed. Where are you going to get it? You can find it. If you can get the weed to get rid of your nausea and give you an appetite in cancer, which is the big problems, but you're not going to be going down to the, the local store. You're going to be a trap shop or you're going to get it from Uncle Jimmy or somebody of yours that, you know. So I'm not surprised. I just don't know how to break through it because the war on drugs has been has been disparate in how it's treated different communities. Thank you for pointing that out, Dale. Um, it's tough, man, you know, because we, uh, we have a long history of not being able to trust doctors from experimental drugs to just neglect and, you know, um, the, uh, um, let's say, uh, the, the amount of black women who died during childbirth or, or die with complications. It's just so alarming. You have all these things that are pushing us against even using the medical system. So, I mean, it's tough, man. There's a lot against us in this nation. Just put it that way. Well, and I can tell you the medical community is scared shitless right now of the government. And I don't know, Sean, if you've had to deal with this, but the DEA went after Molly's drug registration. The first thing they did, okay, we're going to send a message out there to scare the shit out of doctors. And if you go through all the training to become an oncologist, okay, and you're treating people with cancer, there's anything uncomfortable about the relationship, you're going to not get involved in it. That's why recommending physicians popped up because the doctors that were treating cancer, they didn't have a nutsack. They wouldn't do it. They were afraid. And doctors are just different than lawyers. I spit right in their eye. We went to war. But most doctors will not go to war with the DEA because they are, you know, their livelihoods dependent on having that DEA registration. And they'll jerk that right. in a New York minute from you. Mm-hmm. It's like a taxi cab medallion. What did you have to say on that, Dr. T.? I completely agree. Yes, they, there are a lot of doctors. My whole goal is to try to educate doctors and, and say, hey, this is a better alternative or an alternative at least that you have to consider. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, as a, a black doctor, I would I hope that more black folks are are OK with coming to me. But I, I, my numbers don't show it either. They're less uh, blacks than than other groups coming to me, and that's just because of the whole institution, fear of the institution. Dr. T, a story we covered on uh, um, uh, on Monday, it did touch um, upon the VA um, suggesting that their doctors make cannabis recommendations for uh, for patients. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the VA doctors even equipped with the uh, the the right the proper know how to start prescribing? cannabis to uh, veterans 
No, it's all uh, don't ask, don't tell kind of uh, uh, philosophy at the VA. Although I have to say, I was just at the San Francisco VA a couple of weeks ago um, at a presentation to the uh, to nurses and administrators, and it was very well received. Just educating them: what is cannabis? What is it that folks are using? And what's our responsibility? I, I think education is now the, the path forward. It's, it's the cat's out of the bag. We just need to let them know what's, what's happening out there now. And with that approach, hopefully we'll get uh, more VA participants in this. Well, uh, John, I'm a, I'm a VA benefits receiver. I go to the, I've been to the VA, okay? And I went in there and the system is not designed to be helpful for people who use cannabis. <laughs> You still have to keep on the down low. You kind of whisper a little bit. And that still remains the, big, the biggest problem. Education is not just not there. The average doctor's not taught this in medical school. They're not taught how to titrate what the liver does with the first pass effect. It's simple stuff like that. If you're a physician and you're going to prescribe something and you go, oh, if I take it orally, it takes two hours. And it's going to be really sedating. If it's a tincture under the tongue, it's, you know, it gets around the first pass effect. It gets into the brain. Those are the types of things physicians need to understand because 100 years ago, they separated pharmaceuticals from nutraceuticals. And trying to cram cannabis somewhere in between that is not working. So physicians just don't want to deal with it. When your patient's sick and you got cancer and you can't eat and you're puking, I remember I had this problem with Molly. She's puking her guts out. I had a pipe in her mouth all the time so that she wasn't puking and she could actually eat. Okay? When you've got a patient like that, it doesn't matter what color you are. Your body's going to react the same way to chemotherapy. And if the toolbox includes, okay, if you can get a tincture and you can get rapid effect or you can titrate by vaping real quickly and get immediate effects, and understand that, I think it helps tremendously. But the structure of the VA and even these big medical systems today, they do not want to do this. It's uncomfortable for them, so they just ignore it. And the poor patients left there, you know, left on their own. They'll go buy weed in the street. They'll fix the problem. But it ain't bringing the institution into this to help solve the problem. Agreed. Man, man, oh man, oh man. You know what? Do you have anything on this, Lauren? I mean, I think I just want to echo what everyone else has said so far. This is a problem with, you know, it's institutional, um, you know, fear. And I think it's um, understandable why why black people fear and distrust the, inst the medical institution and having their name in a database. Right. And um, that is um, it is unfortunate very unfortunate that horrible policies throughout the years um, have created this distrust. Um, and we have to figure out how we do that education. And, and when we're talking about education, it's how do we, um, how, how are we reaching these communities? And I'm so grateful that we have folks like Dr. Jean who are making that education happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take, um, it's going to take a while, but we have to continue having that education out there. And, and it's not just with this. I think when we look at the cannabis overall, um, and many issues overall, really, it all comes back to education because so many people, um, uh, hold inaccurate beliefs and, and sometimes, uh, it's, it's often not intentional, right. Or, or through any kind of 
malice or anything. It's just, you know, they, they heard something incorrect. They got inaccurate information. Information has evolved. We've learned so much since the last time they tried to learn something about cannabis um, that that it, we, we can't give up trying to have this education. So I'm, I'm glad this data is being collected. Um, I hope this data continues to be collected. And I would also like to see kind of related to this um, incorporation of like ha requiring medical students to learn more about the endocannabinoid system and about cannabis. And so, you know, to what extent there is some kind of, um, you know, regulation and standardization at medical schools, um, or at least recommendation from the bodies that handle that, you know, I'm an attorney, I'm not a, a doctor or med student, but I know I have to do continuing legal education credits, I'm sure doctors have to do um, continuing CME credits, things like that. So to what extent is cannabis being incorporated into those? It's actually a, a question for the doctor on the panel. So I mean, uh, when you're doing your continuing medical credits, have any of them been related to cannabis? Is that a requirement or anything yet? Not a requirement. Uh... But there are some cannabis CMEs out there. Uh, I do cannabis research, so I'm constantly looking at um, articles, but no registered, not very many registered. I do want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Maureen Smith, nurse Maureen Smith. She runs Cannabis Public School every Sunday for free. Hop onto a Zoom and learn about cannabis for an hour with, um, with everyone in the industry, as well as medical professionals. So. Oh, awesome, man. Cannabis Public School. Cannabis Public Schools. Check them out. And thank you so much to uh, Mr. Arturo Rivas for the super chat who says thank you all for keeping us informed and happy Friday from your highest fan. Hashtag Beck 2028. Oh, yeah, because you know we are going to win. That's right. Child. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Talleyrand. And you're sounding and looking amazing today. <laughs> Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. I, I know that lady in the... That was in right. That was right there in the picture, you guys. Oh yeah, familiar. yeah, right. And she's coming up next. That's Lauren Mendelson joining us today from Law Office of Omar Figueroa. She is an attorney, and she is filling in for Mr. Omar Figueroa while he is out on a safari mission, and hopefully out visiting in the Serengeti and uh, staying, run, staying, keeping clear of violent animals. That's right. Oh yes, coming up next and bringing us home is none other than Lauren. Mendelssohn. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, and yeah, I'll be filling in for the next few weeks. And uh, so my story today is from Marijuana Moments by Kyle Jager. The headline is NBA Fishing Science Contract, Removing Marijuana from Banned Substances List and Allowing Players to Invest in Cannabis Companies. 
This is a fun one. So the National Basketball Association and the NBA and its players union have officially signed a collective bargaining agreement that removes marijuana from the league's banned substances list and lays out rules allowing players to invest in and promote cannabis brands with certain exceptions. About two months after NBA and National Basketball Players Association, NBPA, that's their union, reached an agreement on the seven-year contract, it has now been signed and enters into force this weekend. The 676-page document, I looked through it all, it is long, contains a number of cannabis provisions, though arguably the most impactful is the removal of marijuana from the list of prohibited substances for players. Players will also be allowed to hold a direct or indirect ownership interest, whether controlling or non-controlling, in an entity that produces or sells CBD products, which is defined as cannabis containing up to 0.3% THC by dry weight, consistent with the federal definition of legal hemp. They can also invest in marijuana companies, as long as the investment is passive and the player's ownership is less than 50% of the business. Another section of the collective bargaining agreement says that players may participate in the promotion or endorsement of any brand, product, or service of an entity that produces or sells CBD products as long as the entity isn't a marijuana company. However, a player may request permission from the NBA and the Players Association to promote or endorse any CBD products that are produced or sold by a marijuana company. Such requests must be in writing and include a complete list of the products that the com- marijuana company produces or sells, a complete list of all ingredients of such products, a description of the player's proposed promotion or endorsement activity for marijuana company CBD products, and a detailed summary of the non-financial terms of any proposed promotion or endorsement agreement between the player and the marijuana company. Unless a player's request has been approved in writing by the NBA and the player's association, the player may not promote or endorse any CBD products that are produced or sold by a marijuana company. Requests for promotion will be denied if the CBD products associated with the marijuana business are marketed or sold under a brand that also includes or refers to marijuana products, or if the promotion would create a reasonable risk of public confusion with any marijuana product. The signed agreement further lays out penalties for players who are convicted of driving under the influence of alcohol or controlled substances and for those who have engaged in a felony involving the distribution of marijuana. It also generally puts cannabis use by players on par with that of alcohol, saying that if an NBA team has reasonable cause to believe that the player was under the influence of marijuana and or alcohol while engaged in activities for such team or for the NBA, that the player has a, uh, or that the player has a dependency or other related issue involving the use of marijuana and or alcohol, the team may refer the player to the medical director for mandatory evaluation. A player may seek assistance from the medical director at any time for dependency uh, on or any other issue related to the use of marijuana or alcohol, another section says. Players who fail to comply with a mandatory alcohol or marijuana treatment program would also face disciplinary action, including a $5,000 fine per day of noncompliance. Fines and penalties would escalate for players who enter into the required treatment and exhibit a pattern of behavior that demonstrates a mindful disregard for his treatment responsibilities or a positive test for marijuana and or alcohol as applicable that is not clinically expected by the medical director. There will also be a voluntary treatment option for players who seek help related to the use of synthetic cannabinoids like Delta-8 THC. Voluntary entry into the program would not result in any penalties. However, non-compliance after entering the program would come with penalties, including fines and possible suspensions. 
The overall elimination of marijuana from NBA's banned substances list formally codifies what has been the league's decision to temporarily suspend cannabis testing for the past three seasons. Marijuana icon and NBA commentator Snoop Dogg weighed in on the policy change in April, applauding the league for taking steps that would allow players to use cannabis for medical purposes, including as a potential opioid alternative. Michelle Roberts, a one-time head of the NBPA who also joined the board of the major cannabis company Cresco Labs in 2020, previously predicted that a formal change to codify the policy could come soon. In 2021, it was announced that the online marijuana marketplace Weed Maps was teaming up with NBA star Kevin Durant for a multi-year partnership that's aimed at destigmatizing cannabis and showcasing the plant's potential value for athlete wellness and recovery. A growing number of professional leagues have taken steps to enact marijuana policy reforms as more states have legalized cannabis. For example, the National Collegiate Athletics Association, NCAA, um, committee focused on promoting health, wellness, and uh, health and wellness for student athletes is proposed to remove marijuana from the organization's banned substances list. That's the NCAA. Earlier this year, Nevada sports regulators voted to send a proposed regulatory amendment to the governor there that would formally protect athletes from being penalized over using or possessing marijuana in compliance with state law. The UFC announced in 2021 that they would no longer be punishing fighters over positive marijuana tests. The National Football League's drug testing policy changed demonstrably in 2020 as part of a collective bargaining agreement. NFL and its players union also announced this month that they are jointly awarding another round of funding to support independent research on the therapeutic benefits of CBD as a pain treatment alternative to opioids for players with concussions. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals recently formed a partnership with the cannabis brand to promote education about the potential therapeutic benefits of CBD, and it's the second major league baseball team to do so after the Chicago Cubs. MLB itself announced its league-wide partnership with the popular CBD brand last year. Charlotte's Web Holdings, one of the most recognizable hemp-derived CBD companies in the country, signed the deal with the league to become the official CBD of MLB. So you know, that's the article, and I, I think that um, you know it's exciting. This another sign that cannabis is becoming more accepted by mainstream audiences, um, and also you know the the fact that it's being recognized its value for wellness and recovery. Um, and you know that so many people idolize uh, athletes, professional athletes look up to them. Uh, it's very mainstream, you know, sports here in the U.S. So I do think this can have a lot of uh, downstream like ripple effects in terms of just helping to remove the overall stigma um, and helping more people be comfortable with it. And I think it's great now that you know these players can actually have you know a level of, of ownership interest and be able to endorse with certain limitations um, companies in this space. I also, um, as a lawyer, I, I found the uh, the fact that this is about a collective bargaining agreement interesting i i deal with those in in the cannabis space and it was it was fun to see one in a totally different industry basketball but that touched on cannabis amazing these now these ballers can actually be real true ballers rico you know what i mean no they can't only not only can they be ballers but they can also be shot callers oh man i see what you did there thc Well, THC is still treated like depleted uranium. Okay, it's all about <laughs> CBD and allow them. You know, you can't have the THC, and I understand it's an incremental step. But I don't know about you, Jean, but I've had to deal with psychiatrists who were treating um, juveniles for cannabis abuse disorder because they were forced to go there by the courts, and all of a sudden the statistics jumped up about how many people have a cannabis use disorder. 
And how in the hell is that identified in the DSM-5? And how do you, what's the criteria to use? Because it concerns me that someone's going to mandate a program for you because you smoke too much weed. And you got to follow, you're going to get your ass kicked by the NBA. That sort of still concerns me because I, I, they all smoke weed. We know it. Stop playing games about it. Take it off the list. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. If you cannot got, do got, THC, we're still sort of in the same spot. I mean, um, ball so yeah. hard, ball so hard. Everybody <laughs> wants to find me. Oh yeah, NBA baby that, never yeah, broke least, again. Yeah, at least we know they're not going to get tested like they were before. And um, I agree with you, Dale. Uh, but I still think it's a win, and especially the fact that they can get paid because they smoke so much fucking dope. <laughs> and <laughs> there's so many companies that have been blessing them with free stuff already. It's going to be a come up for everybody from this. By the way, uh, it's reported that three out of 10 cannabis users have cannabis use disorder. I, I think that that's way um, overinflated. I, I think if they used the criteria that cannabis is causing harm to you or, or your life or in your life, then the numbers would be much less. Do, do, Dr. But, uh, Dr. Dr. Talleyrand, don't, I mean, I just believe that cannabis use disorder is just some made-up thing that doesn't even exist, that the, that the general public wants to exist because just they want to perpetuate reefer madness. Does it actually, like, medically exist? Well, I've had patients who say that can, using cannabis um, uh, did not sit well with them and that it didn't, it contributed to negative aspects in their life. So yeah, but that's, I, I that, believe that's not it a, exists. That's I not, a, that's not a disorder. 30%. That's not a disorder though, Dr. Talleyrand. That just means it wasn't for them and, and, and not everything is for everyone. You know what I mean? Like some people can't drink alcohol. They immediately get sick. Yeah. They don't, they don't say that they have a, they don't have an alcohol <laughs> use disorder. You know what I mean? Think of it this way. Everything you see around you is in order. If it's out of order, that's a disorder. Uh, you're, well, if, if, I wish we Rico, were in court. The criteria, criteria they use to diagnose a substance abuse disorder has baked into a prohibition. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you're getting arrested yeah. for weed, that's one of the criteria. Oh, maybe you have an abuse disorder. Well, take away the fucking laws. Let's look at it from a medical standpoint and a physiological standpoint if in those criteria you are causing problems to yourself or the people around you from a biological or physiological standpoint, okay, now we can diagnose it. And I, I would say it's less than 10% of people who use weed. It's way less than that. But yeah. these numbers get just thrown in because, oh, if you keep getting arrested, well, why are you getting arrested for weed? Take those goddamn laws away, and we take away a whole lot of the criteria for saying someone has an abuse disorder. Um, look at it strictly from the standpoint of does the, does the drug cause problems for the human uh, outside of our artificial prohibitionary laws? Mm -hmm. but without law and order, aren't you going to have more well, disorders? Well, Dr. Talleyrand, so, so Nick Bradley in the comments section, he says, if they also looked at cannabis as an essential amino acid that was imperative for health, then cannabis use disorder would be a fairy tale. Well, it's a fat. It's not a protein or an amino acid. That that threw me off, Nick. Uh, but besides, <laughs> besides, you have no idea what you're talking about, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> just getting the chemistry right. But if you you just have to, uh, uh, you know, Dale's right. 
if there's a problem with your life using it, most often people just stop using it. And so it exactly. no longer becomes a problem. Um, and so, yeah, the, the few who continue to use it when it's problematic in their life, I would call them having a cannabis use disorder. I just don't think it's 30%. I mean, I mean, what, what, not you say, I mean, that's the same thing for like someone that, 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 uh, that, that drinks alcohol that isn't good for them and they still drink alcohol because they still like it. It's, it's risk versus reward. That's right. Alcohol Sub use disorder. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or substance use disorder in general. If you do a blood test and you find out your liver enzymes are all upside down and backwards because you drink an alcohol, then you know what? You're causing problems and maybe you have an alcohol use. You don't, we don't find yes. anything like that in cannabis exactly. or cannabis use disorders. Exactly. You know, it's just they want to throw bullshit in there and it's based upon it's illegal. Okay? If you keep getting in trouble because it's illegal, then you've got a disorder. No, yeah, they're all change the kind of laws. They're all hypocrites, man. It's all hypocrites. But uh, we shouldn't have laws. laws. Oh boy! Oh boy! Here we go with an anarchist, anarchist coming back again from Hawaii. Chaos is a ladder, Jason. I bet. I bet. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You ready to roll, Rico? I mean, uh, we can we can do it. I was gonna say, any final thoughts on that one, uh, Lauren? You want to chip in on it? Um, I mean, yeah, I I think that. Um... Hey, it's just, we need to legalize this. This is ridiculous, right? Like, <laughs> this is something that everyone uses it. Let's use it safely. Let's, prohib prohibition doesn't work of anything, mm -hmm. right? And so it's all about sensible regulations, science-based policies. Like, that's it. It's not a political, it's not a left or right, red or blue. It's not, um, you know, there's a pro or a con. No, these are, it's facts, it's science. Let's, let's regulate it correctly move on SBP science-based policies SBZ SBPs instead of APBs well that? I I had these discussions with Todd McAria 20 plus years ago Ooh, the exact yeah. same discussions can we get more education in in medical school by in neurology classes can we get out to the practitioners and take away the bugaboo and what what John will tell you as soon as you start doing this you realize that this is all bullshit Okay, because if you look at this from the molecule you're giving to a person and its toxicity and the problems from it, they're basically non-existent. You cannot kill somebody with this, okay? It isn't like fentanyl. It kills you like that. You can't kill or alcohol. Or oh, alcohol. And right. you, can, you can die from water toxicity. You cannot, can't eat three quarters of a ton of weed in 15 minutes and reach that theoretical LD50. You just can't do it. So it's extremely safe. It's safer than goddamn Tylenol. And doctors prescribe it on the phone with a couple aspirin. So the medical community wants to learn this, but they're still afraid. And so the, there's, there's got to be efforts to go out there. And, and, and John, if you, I'd be happy to attend any conference where you talk to people. I'll bring them my legal perspective. I've got medical training. I'm happy to tell them, you know, it's, you know, grow a set, folks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> grow a set. Grow a set. Yeah. Tell people, this is the <laughs> truth. These are the facts. Get your head out of your ass. And let's you see if we can solve this from the bottom up to the medical community. Mm -hmm. Even if you weren't born with a set, grow one. Oh. And um, I, only thing I have against what you said uh, um, there, Dale, is um, I was a big fan of uh, Destiny's Child and their single, Bugaboo. So, you know, I'll stay off of that one. Um, 
Well, thank you all for joining us today uh, for another episode of High Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. And, you know, if you're in Hawaii, high at the crack of dawn. <laughs> big shout out to the super fans showing love, getting their comments projected live on the big screen. Arturo Rivas. Yo, welcome to the super fan club, my man. Um, but also to the live audience members out there and the online supporters catching us all across media platforms, tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines of chaos. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of your perspective. And your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, The Vortex, 91 Club, and all our sponsors helping us keep the lights on, keeping our AV struggles to a minimum. I think we did pretty good today. And Dr. T sounded fantastic. I love that. Big shout out to Jaja Simone holding us down as well. And to all the haters out there, don't worry. Be happy, man. Be happy. Aloha. And um, as always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason that the High Nine News team shows up to read these headlines every day. Thank you. We are forever in debt to your services. It is Friday, June 30th, 2023. The show's over. You've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the beach. With your daily reminder that when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. And with that, I'd like to give it to Lauren Mendelson. Why don't you take us out today with a message for the people for the weekend? All right. Well, hope everyone has a wonderful, happy, high weekend. It's first weekend of July. And um, stay cool. Stay high and cool. And it's the 4th of July coming up. 